Well, last uh, Sunday, don't I sound different? Last Sunday, um, I had the opportunity, the privilege of speaking at a little church on the side of a mountain. I don't even know where, somewhere in Costa Rica. Uh, It was about a 30-minute drive from where we were staying, so it was way up in the boonies. And we had a group of people there that spoke not... Spanish, the language of Costa Rica, but spoke some Indian dialect, so it was an interesting <laughs> interesting time going through two translations to get it to them, you know, but we, we did okay, I guess. Uh, it, it was a great trip. Mike and I made it back in one piece. Where's Mike? Back there. Um, and it gives me an opportunity to talk a little bit about the cross wall that we have over here. Anytime that we take a trip anywhere, or if you have a cross hanging around home somewhere that you don't really need and you'd like to donate to us to put on our cross wall, please do. And and Michael, make sure it gets a prominent place on the wall over there. Mike, I'm going to leave this one on the communion table. And uh, I think you brought one too. It's a more colorful one than this. Um, but I'd like to fill that wall up with crosses uh, at some point. And they continue to, about every two weeks, we get a new cross from somebody, and it's beginning to look pretty good right now. I need to make one announcement that didn't make it to John before the video, and that is uh, July 4th. It seems like a long way off, but it's not a long way off. If you happen to be a veteran, we would love for you to be a, take part in a... Um, uh, kind of a uh, American Pride March, I guess it is. Not really a parade, but a march. And I don't have all the details on this, but uh, George O'Neill does. George, where are you? Raise your hand there. This is George. If you are a veteran, would you see George after the service? There's a sign-up sheet here. He can tell you more about it. The sign-up sheet will be on the info counter over there. Uh, like I say, I don't, I don't have much information, but I'm sure George will have every uh, answer to every question that you might ask. Uh, did Andy do okay last week? Okay. I thought maybe he would. I thought maybe he would. Yeah. Thank you, Andy, for filling in last week. And uh, it's only because of people like Andy that we're able to get out of here and go... Uh, go do some mission work in other places and feel comfortable about leaving uh, and leaving you here in good hands. We begin a new series today, and I'm calling it The Power of Forgiveness. And this first uh, week, actually the first two weeks, is going to be about finding forgiveness. Where do we find forgiveness? forgiveness. Now, to some of you that have been around renovation for quite a while, uh, this may sound a little familiar because I used the same outline several years ago, 2011, our first year in a building over there on Highway 17. And as I look back at my notes, it was Easter Sunday when we started, and it happened to be April the 24th, 2011. So, Uh, I didn't have to change many dates when I uh, did the top of my uh, form here. 
but we changed the, the uh, meat of the message quite a bit from what it was at that time. I did find out, and I have found out since then, that forgiveness is one of the biggest problems we have. Or maybe I should say unforgiveness is one of the biggest problems we have as individuals, as a church, um, as uh, husband-wife, as family. Um, it, it, it's just tough. It's really tough to give and, ex- and even accept forgiveness. And then it's tough to forgive yourself. That's one of the things we're going to look at through this series, to forgive yourself. Because a lot of times we, we can forgive other people, but how can I ever forgive myself? We had, um, uh, I, I, I just in passing several um, months ago, I think it was actually before Christmas, I mentioned something about abortion. Abortion. And I had three different ladies come up to me afterwards and say that they'd been carrying this guilt around for a long, long time, that they'd never told anybody, and that um, they were finally able to let it go. It, it weighs us down. It's on our shoulders, and we can't get out from under unforgiveness or accepting forgiveness from others. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that no matter how far we might run away from you, we know that we can always return home and you will welcome us with open arms. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Four weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. And if it weren't for Easter, we wouldn't really be talking about this forgiveness thing. Easter resurrection showed the ultimate forgiveness, forgiveness of our sins, an opportunity for you and me to receive ultimate forgiveness from our Creator. And without the ultimate forgiveness that our Creator offers to us, it would be impossible for us to offer forgiveness to other people or to accept forgiveness for ourselves or even to live in a um, freedom of forgiveness in our lives. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's a word that's misunderstood. It's a word that's mismanaged. It's a word that is malpracticed, I guess, if we could use that, talking about forgiveness. It seems that no one, me included, no one wants to admit that they need forgiveness. We're just stubborn that way. We don't want to admit it. And it's rare that we seek forgiveness from others, and we're often resistant to offer it to other people. Yet forgiveness, as we all know sitting here today, forgiveness is a universal need. There's something inside of us. We were were created with something inside of us that cries out to be forgiven and to give forgiveness. And there's something innate in us that desires to receive forgiveness from our Creator. We need that. We want that. 
the resurrection is the ultimate conclusion of God's plan that he laid out so beautifully in the Old Testament to forgive us completely and to wipe the slate clean. Think about an Etch-A-Sketch. You know an Etch-A-Sketch? You know an Etch-A-Sketch? The little red box that has the two dials and you draw on it and draw pictures. I could never draw a picture, but if I could draw a box, it was, it was, I, was I had accomplished something, but I've seen people that could actually do artwork with those things. Beautiful things. And then you turn it upside down and you go, and it looks like you never drew anything. It's completely wiped clean. And that's what God's plan does for us. Unforgiveness will hold us in bondage, and it'll lead to things like bitterness and division and fear and disappointment and unhappiness and a sense of abandonment by other people. Without forgiveness, there is absolutely no hope of any reconciliation between us and other people or between us and God. We have to have forgiveness. So I want to look, use this kind of the, the scripture for us uh, to begin this series. Look at a short story. It's a parable, but really it's, it's a short story. That's what the parables were. They were just little short stories. The parable of the prodigal son. And it, it's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 15. Verse 11, I think, is where it starts. If not, I think I've put some of the scriptures in your, in your handout, and most of them will be on the board, on the board, on the screen as well. Jesus was telling stories to the people that he was teaching, a number of different stories, three to be exact, about lost things three lost things he talked about a lost sheep he talked about a lost coin and he talked about a lost son and i i want us to look at the lost son luke 15 verses 11 through 13 first verse 11 a man had two sons the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. That's pretty bold, isn't it? <laughs> I want mine now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between the two sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and took a trip to a distant land. The younger son went off to live this lavish lifestyle that he had always wanted to live. And we're going to pick up on where, what the, uh, happened to the younger son a little bit later. The prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, is what we would call in literature a divine drama. It illustrates humanity's decision to turn their backs on God, to sin against God, and to ultimately leave what is best for something less. The story illustrates our need to find forgiveness because 
we realize at some point in our lives that we've sinned against God. And in the parable, the son makes a decision to return home. His way home, his way back to his father, is clear. And so it is, I would venture to say, with each one of us. When we make a decision to return to God, God lays out very clearly, crystal clear for us, how we can do that. That clear path of returning to God is always through his son, Jesus Christ. The only way back to God. And as we study this parable today, I'm going to ask you to do some things. We open your minds to the possibility that you just might find yourself somewhere in this parable of the prodigal son. Would you open your minds to the possibility that you just might be the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter who needs to return to your loving father? Would you consider that God is indeed a loving father who desires to restore a relationship with you, who wants to forgive you, who wants to wipe the slate clean, who wants to welcome you fully back into the family, even though, even though you have turned your back on him. And would you consider for just a few minutes that perhaps you have exchanged the best life in pursuit of something less than the best? Would you consider that just maybe God has a better life for you and it's available to you when you return to him in, the, in his spiritual home? So as we look deeper into, into this story today, let me just ask the Holy Spirit to come Come and teach us today. We're at all, all at different levels here. I don't know uh, a lot of you. I don't know what your issues are, but he does. And would he teach you, based on where you are, the things that he wants you to uh, remember out of this parable about the prodigal son? You see, you can and I can be forgiven. If you don't hear anything else, hear that. You and I can be forgiven. Doesn't matter what you've done. We can return home. He wants us to return home. We can begin a new life as a new creation. That's what he has for us. But how can we do that? How, you would ask. How is it possible to do that? So to find forgiveness, I have to, first of all, the first step would be I have to recognize that I need God. I have to recognize that I need God. That's why the uh, Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites. God knew they couldn't keep all those commandments. He... He wanted them to see that in order to be perfect, they needed him. 
They needed a savior. They needed an intermediary to pay for their sins. How many of you have heard of the term before today, the term prodigal son? I mean, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think it's a term that is in the, in the secular world, too. We use that a lot. It's not something that's foreign to us. Uh, we may not mean the same thing when we use it in the business place, but uh, prodigal son, it's a term that's familiar. What is a prodigal? I asked... Um, a number of people this week. I actually spent most of the latter part of the week either in a doctor's office or visiting people in hospitals. Um, I asked them, what, what, what is a prodigal to you? What is a prodigal? And these are some of the answers they gave me. One of them said, a prodigal is someone who runs away from home. I had to agree with that. Certainly in this story, the, the son, the younger son, ran away from home. Somebody else said, a prodigal is someone who turns their back on their family. That could be. Someone else said, um, it's someone who, turn, uh, who turns their back on their faith. Not just their family, but their back on their faith. They go away from the church. They go away from the people who who love them and care for them and encourage them. Someone else said that a prodigal is someone who wastes money on a lavish lifestyle. That might put a lot of us into, into that category. All of these definitions that I uh, gathered this week have some ring of truth to them, but I didn't get anybody that, that gave me what I was really looking for. In our story, God allows the prodigal to return back, even after all he's done, to return back to the best life possible. Didn't matter that he had lived a wild life. Didn't matter that he had squandered all the money. Didn't matter anything. God just wanted him to, or the Father just wanted him to come back. And I guess a lesson that we could... Uh, we could learn from the prodigal is that lavish, lavish expenditures, lavish lifestyles never recreate the best life for us. Never. He found that out pretty quickly. We think, oh man, if I just had, if I just had 10,000 more dollars, yeah, what could I do with it? If I just had a million more dollars, I just had 10 million more dollars. It's never enough. It's just never enough. And then we realize, like Dorothy Gale, that there's no place like home. Home is where we really want to be. Home is where our heart is. And when the prodigal returns, he receives all the best that he had left behind him. So here's my definition, my personal definition of a prodigal. A prodigal is someone who leaves a better way of life for a lesser way of life, but upon returning, regains that better way of life. Leaves a better way for a lesser way, goes back and he's reinstated just as he was or maybe even better. 
And then if we look in your Bibles there at verses 13 and 14, you see, when we last left the prodigal son, he was headed off with his belongings packed into suitcases that had inline wheels on them so he could uh, pull them down the road just fine. And he was going to spend all of his money extravagantly. And the Bible says that as he began to spend more and more and more, eventually, eventually he ran out of money. He ran out of funds. Have you ever been there? You ever been there? I've been there. It's not a fun place to be, is it? He runs out of money, and the story says... Oh, man, just when we thought it couldn't get any worse, a famine hits the country. There must have been global warming. A famine hit the country. First famine they'd had in a long time. He wasn't expecting that. And he began to starve. You see, he didn't didn't listen in the Dave Ramsey course, and he didn't have an emergency fund. He looked around and he saw a help-wanted sign on a local hog farm. And he got a job working with hogs in a pigsty. Man, that's a great job, isn't it? That's a wonderful job. Verse 15 says, he used his southern charm to persuade a local farmer to hire him. And his job, what was his job? His job was to feed the pigs. I don't know if you've ever done that before or not. Seems like every year when I was growing up, we had at least two hogs. And sometimes I had the pleasure of getting to feed those things. And I remembered the stories of how uh, one of my grandfathers had been bitten back here on the back of the calf. And there was a huge hunk of meat missing. I, mean, I, I don't know whether it was true or not, but it certainly made me cautious of a, of a hog. So every time I went, I kind of crept in and threw it in and then, then ran away. It's not any more glamorous than it sounds to be in a pigsty feeding hogs, slopping hogs. And the Bible literally says in verse 16, the young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Hmm. You ever been that hungry? Some of you may have been that hungry. Some of you may may not know, may have not known where your next meal was coming from. There are people around the world today that don't know where their next meal is coming from. They're hungry. They're starving. Well, he begins to think, look, these, these pigs are eating better than I am. So we pick up the story in verse 17, and it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. So what did he do? Well, he began to realize that he was experiencing a lesser life than what he thought he was going to be experiencing when he set out on this journey. 
There was a better life available for him. And here he was stuck in this pigsty. He recognized that he had settled for something less instead of the best. And what does that mean for us? I think think it means several things. The scripture says when he came to his senses. Have you ever been in a in a situation where you came to your senses. I just love that, ver- that phrase. When he came to his senses, he woke up and said, the hired men back home had it better than I do. I left the best and settled for something less. I mean, just picture it in your mind. He's handing out, usually it's out of a bucket, he's handing out slop to the hogs. And he wakes up and he says, I think I made a mistake. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I made a mistake. The pigsty in the story represents the illusion that sin offers. The illusion that sin offers. You see, when we think about leaving God's best and pursuing something else, at first, at first, it usually looks pretty extravagant has all the bells and whistles and so it was for the prodigal son you see I think Satan has only two quivers two arrows in his quiver only two one of them is doubt if he can put doubt in your mind that God's word is true He's kind of won the battle. Did God really say, he said to Eve, did God really say that? Are you sure that's exactly what he said? And I think the other arrow in his quiver is one that hits all church people. Settling for good. Settling for doing good things. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of good things. Helping people. Taking people to doctor's appointments or, or, or uh, shopping for them. Uh, working in the church. Reading your Bibles and praying. Good stuff. Good stuff. But God's got the best thing on the shelf for you. And that's what he wants to give to you is the best. Don't settle for good when you know God wants you to have the best. And at first, this uh, prodigal son enjoyed that lifestyle. He had money to burn. Who wouldn't enjoy it? It's like you're going on vacation with an unlimited uh, credit card. But when he runs out of daddy's money, he finds himself there in that pigsty. The pigsty. The willingness to settle for something less than God's best. God sometimes allows us, doesn't he? Allows us to find ourselves in a pigsty. You ever found yourself in a pigsty? So that we can experience the wake-up call so that we can come to our senses it says and realize that there's 
There's really more to life than this. Whatever this is that you're experiencing, there's more to life than this. And then notice, what did he begin to think about? What was the first thing he began to think about when he came to his senses? He began to think about home. Home. In this parable, the word home has great symbolism in it. He began to think about what he had lost by, by leaving his father. And for us, that means we begin to turn toward our Heavenly Father, that we begin to realize that we've turned our backs on a Heavenly Father, on a God who loves us, that we need to experience His forgiveness or experience His forgiveness again so that we can move forward and rediscover what is best in our lives. That's why I'm saying the first step in finding forgiveness is to recognize that you have a need for God and to recognize God's forgiveness it means that you must admit I have to say that I've gone my own way I haven't listened to you God I played out my own plan over here I wasn't asking you what plan you wanted for my life and you know look some say I have gone my own way you know the spiritual hunger pains of being disconnected from your creator and my guess is just a guess my guess is that when you're alone just you and nobody in your room late at night and it's dark nobody else is around you begin to think well maybe there is more to life than what I'm experiencing. That's what the Alpha Course is all about. That whole course. That's why we talk about it so much. One of the questions we ask is, is there more to life than this? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, for some of you, this may be great. But think of it as this is good. That's the best. That's what he wants us to have. There must be more to life than, than this. And my guess is that that's what brought you here today. That's what keeps bringing you back to church. When, when you get past the celebration and the ceremony that, that is what we call church, whether it's here or whether it's uh, at the Baptist church or the Methodist church or the Catholic church or Lutheran church, when you get past all that, 
I bet the reason that you came here today is because something inside of you is searching for that better life. You just know it can be better. Something inside of you is searching for that opportunity to take that etch-a-sketch board and shake it and clean the slate and begin all this new again. You took the action to come here, some of you, because today you are searching. But here's the, here's the deal. Long before you made the decision to come here today, God took the first step toward coming to you. Because God knows you better than you know yourself. God desires a relationship with you more than you desire a relationship with him. 2,000 years ago, God took the ultimate step of sending his son, Jesus, to earth, to live, to die on a cross, to be raised again from the dead so that he could show you, hey, look, I've done all that's necessary for you to come home to me. I've done it all. It is finished. The work is done. There's nothing else you can do. Let's look at the first part of one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Again, this is one that everybody knows whether they've been in church or not. John 3, 16, and it says... For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. And when you wake up to the realization that you need God, you also realize that he's already done all that he needs to do for you to come home to him, for you to experience a better life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you even for little short stories that seem like they couldn't possibly mean anything. And yet there's powerful teaching. Powerful teaching that Jesus used in talking to folks that are just like the folks sitting around here today. Some searching some hurting, some knowing. Father, continue to work in this group today, this week, as we come back together next week. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and... Um, Light a fire in our hearts to seek you in a new and exciting way this week. New and exciting way. Whether we've been with you for years or whether we're really not sure what this relationship thing is. That we will want to come to you. We feel that tugging at our heart. Speak to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen.
I am seeking.